we had a lot of niche articles. So we're like, okay, well, let's expand on that and just focus on travel around Thailand. And we went all in on that. So that was the first thing, you know, just focusing on Thailand, grow traffic to almost 80,000 views a month just in Thailand. The second thing was how to then grow the traffic. And uh, we teach like a pillar strategy in SEO. So with SEO, you need a couple of strong pillars at the top. And then you need to build like your framework underneath. So we call it an authority fortress. So you're basically setting up your pillars. Hey, what's up, you guys? My name is Mikko Karshovsky, and welcome to episode 96 of That Remote Life Podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Tom Rogers, the co-founder of AdventureInYou.com, which is one of the top 15 travel websites in the world. Tom grew up in Wales and after finishing a degree in aerospace engineering, decided to go backpacking where he met his co-founder and girlfriend, Anna. In order to fund their travels, they decided to start a travel blog and Adventure in You was born. Tom and Anna have built an incredible business around their website and during this episode, we got to dive in deep on exactly how they've been able to create such a popular and successful business. We talked about why blogging is such a tough business and how to create an effective strategy that allows you to win in an otherwise extremely competitive industry, why it's important to diversify your income streams and how to keep a cool head when things go wrong, which will certainly happen at some point in all businesses. And we even discussed some of the more nitty gritty details of running the business, like where the revenue in the business comes from, how they've been able to hire the perfect people for their business, how they set goals and determine what everyone on their team should work on, and much, much more. Guys, I'm serious. If you want to build a business around blogging, this is the episode that you want to hear on. We talked about a ton of things, and I think you'll find it really valuable if you do want to be a blogger or make money off of affiliate income. We did mention quite a few resources during this interview, including Tom and Anna's amazing course on blogging. So make sure you check out the full show notes over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 96 to get access to those. Now, before we jump into the episode, I would love to hear what you think about this podcast. I made it very easy to leave a review. All you have to do is just head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash TRL and write your review. That's it. It's that easy. If you're enjoying this podcast, leaving a review is one of the best ways to support it. Reviews are still a key statistic that Apple, who is basically the only person uh, in the playing field still for podcasts. Uh, It's still something that Apple looks at in order to determine how to rank a podcast. So your review will directly help us climb the rank boards and attract new listeners. So thank you in advance for leaving a review if you choose to do so. Once again, if you want to check out the full show notes and a list of the resources mentioned in this episode, you can do so over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 96. That's episode all spelled out followed by the number 96. 
All right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this interview with Tom Rogers from adventureinyou.com. All right, Tom, welcome to the show, man. I'm uh, super excited that we got to connect. Yeah, cheers for having me. I'm excited too. Cool, man. So um, our friend Nathan uh, connected us and the way he introduced you to me was he said, you got to meet this dude, uh, very business-minded, very cool guy. And he said the thing that really caught like my attention. He said that you have one of the top 15 travel blogs in the world. Is that right? Or is that, or is Nathan just kind of, you know, like spewing crazy facts out there? <laughs> Big, bigging us up. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, we were in the top 15. I'm not sure where we are at the moment uh, because of the current situation with COVID. That list fluctuates, um, but we've sort of been hovering around between 25, I think 25 to 10 or 12, 12 is our best position uh, for like the last two to three years now. So I'm not exactly sure where we are at the moment, but yeah, that's, that's about right. <laughs> that's like really impressive mm. because like for me, like when people tell me that they're starting a travel blog, I always go like, like really like, because for me, that is like, it's such a, it sounds like such an amazing business, right? Like you get to travel all over the world and you get paid to do it. But as like a, it's super competitive, you really need to know your stuff. And like, it's just, it's the sort of business model that I wouldn't really touch. And when people tell me like, oh, I'm starting my first business and it's a travel blog, I'm like, oh boy. So <laughs> like, why did you decide to go and start a travel blog as opposed to any of the other number of things you could have done? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think it's because... So to explain that, I'll have to take you back uh, around six years ago now when we first started. So when I first started traveling, um, that's where I met my partner, Anna. So we were both solo backpacking. We met in Vietnam. We had a travel romance. And then to cut a long story short, we started dating again when I went to the Philippines. And my plan was to sort of do you know, a whole year and a half trip. I was going to stop in Australia about halfway, get a job in a bar, top up my funds a little bit and then carry on. But because I met Anna in my first six months, I decided to, when I got to the Philippines and we started dating, uh, I was offered a job in the Philippines uh, in a tech startup. So I was like, okay, well, it's better working in a tech startup and I could learn more here, top up my funds and then go traveling. So that's what I did. I started working in that company while we were dating. And then what happened was after eight months, I was ready to go traveling again. I'd saved up some extra money and was still on my sort of trip. Anna had spent all the money on a master's degree in teaching. So she was like dead broke. And she was like, look, I really want to go traveling again. But I think at the time, uh, the exact number was something like she had less than $2,000 to her name. Like I think it was about 1,700 US dollars or something. Um, Cause we spoke about it before. But she was like, I'll do it. Like, I'll quit everything and I'll come travel with you, but I need to make money on the road. And I was like, okay, well, let's, let's start looking at ways to make money. And this is before I didn't know the word digital nomad, like six, about six years ago, six and a half years ago, I did not know that word at all. Um, and I, I, you know, I was pretty interested in the tech startup world, but I wanted to travel. So then Anna was reading all these blogs online. She was always reading travel blogs. She loves to read blogs. And I just remember you know, I was at home, she came back from work one day and she literally opened the door, she burst in and she was like, Tom, Tom, I know how we're going to make money online and how we're going to be able to travel. And I was like, really? Well, tell me. She's like, we're going to start a blog. And <laughs> this is actually a true story. At that time, I said, what's a blog? <laughs> I'd never even heard of it. It's just not my thing. I don't really read blogs. 
uh, or research like that. I more just go with the flow. But I was like, okay, well, you know, show me what you found. And she found this article by a guy called Johnny Ward who ran One Step Forward. Uh, he's still a big blogger today. And at that time, he had posted an article about making five grand from travel blogging, uh, $5,000 a month, and that blew us away. Uh, so that was sort of what got us to start. And then we just went full into that. So really, you know, I started it without knowing anything about businesses or picking a niche or, you know, keyword research. I didn't know any of that. We just needed to make way to make money online. So we just jumped into travel blogging. And then over the next couple of years, you know, failed a lot, learned a lot, uh, realized what we did wrong. We niched down, et cetera, et cetera, and, and eventually figured it out and built Adventure New to where it is today. So I think that's interesting because I know several people who've gone into a specific type of business not knowing how hard it would be. And they've said to me before, like, if I knew what I know now about it, I probably wouldn't have gone into it. Did you, did you have a similar like experience where it's sort of like your, what, what you didn't know about the industry and how scary and difficult it is was almost like the bet, like the reason why you started it, right? Was that you weren't like, well, here's all these reasons why I shouldn't do it. Mm -mm. I think I'm actually pretty grateful that I didn't like, I, that I didn't know that stuff and I did it because I wouldn't want that to put it, anyone off. You know, it is still competitive, but people can still build a successful blog. They just have to be a bit smarter about it and pick a niche down. The issue we had is when we first started our travel blog, we, it was so wide, you know, we were one of those people that blogged about Bali and then we blogged about Thailand and then we blogged about a trip in the UK. It was just way too like, you know, wide when we niche down and focused on one area, that is when we start to grow authority. Um, so yeah, I'm glad that I didn't, I'm glad that I just jumped in and didn't get sort of frozen with inaction. Uh, if that makes sense. I I definitely want to dive in a bit more on the niching because because mm -hmm. I do agree. I think that that is where, like, you know, our friend Nathan, like mm -hmm. foodie flashbacker, right? Yeah. He kind of focuses on this like niche of like traveling and food. Um, and I definitely want to go into that a little bit more. But before we do that, where do you think, you know, travel blogging is going to be as an industry over the next couple of years? Because... I have a lot of friends who are travel bloggers. And when COVID hit, I was like, oh my God, like they're going to get decimated. Hmm. So where is the industry at right now from your perspective? Has it recovered? Um, do you think it's a thing that people should start working on now? Like just how do you feel about the industry now uh, during COVID? And like, where do you think it's going to be in the next three years? Do you think it's a good investment for people? Okay. So where we are now, into, I guess where we are now, not all travel blogs are decimated. It depends what, again, what country you're focused on, or if you're focused on domestic travel, or, you know, there's some things like glamping and stuff that's taken on over here. So it, it, some travel blogs are okay. The majority of them are struggling. Adventure New has been hit really bad because we mainly focused on Asia. So we were mainly focused on Southeast Asia content. We had a lot of traffic from the US, a lot of people planning their gap years. So when COVID happened, that really affected our business. Um, so yeah, in terms of where we are, we saw, you know, 70% reductions in revenue during this time for the last, you know, eight months. And I got to be honest, when it first happened, I thought we might have six months of this and then maybe bouncing back, but we're still not seeing that, you know, we're still at this other low point. And now I'm thinking, 
yeah, where we are now, we're still at the low point. And I'm thinking we're in this for another probably six, six, six months, maybe nine months um, until the vaccines are fully rolled out and everyone's fully going again. But I mean, to get Adventure New back to where we were before, I'm expecting probably another year and a half. Um, that being said, if someone's started now, is it a good investment? Um, I think, again, the game has just changed to when I first started. If someone's starting a blog now, they have to first learn about keyword research, like before they do anything. And then, you know, learn about finding a strong niche uh, and really focus in on that niche. You can still build a wild, wildly successful travel blog now, but it's just going to be, it's going to look different. It might be, you know, domestic travel. I don't know, for, for example, like Mexico is opening up at the moment. It's a lot of people coming in from Mexico. Um, so we've shifted a lot of our content strategy around that. I don't mind revealing all our, <laughs> all our plans, but uh, yeah, we're focusing a lot over in the countries that are opening up now and focusing our content on there. So yes, I still think it's a good investment because it will bounce back up. Um, it will bounce back up and travel still going to be a thing. Uh, it's going to change ever so slightly. But the one thing I would say is obviously it depends on the person's situation. If they need to make money within the next six months, then a blog is more of a long game. A blog is something to do on the side. You know, if you are freelancing or if you're working in an agency, start writing a blog on the side because then six months you'll see a couple of hundred bucks. You know, 12 months you'll see almost a thousand dollars and then it'll start to snowball uh, alongside you. So, yeah. Yeah, I think I definitely agree. I think a blog is like a long term investment. While like if you do need like if you are like, hey, like you said, I need cash now. I think like something that's far more um, direct, like selling your services, freelancing is a really good way to sort of, you know, create an income while you build that blog to live the the, the passive income dreams at some point, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I totally agree. I think I think recessions are really difficult for big businesses that are established, but can be the best thing for up and coming businesses because those big businesses may lose some, some ground and you can kind of almost like, um, you know, you're more nimble. You don't have as many expenses. So in many ways, like moments like this are the best time, I think, to, to, to start something new. Yeah. What did you learn about you know, if there's one lesson that you learn from adjusting in this sort of period and kind of thinking on your on your feet, what would that be? Hmm. That's a, that's a good question. Again, for me, the way we adjusted. So we have two businesses. So we have Adventure New, which is a travel blogging business, um, and then we have Blogging Fastlane, which is our education company and teaches all about affiliate marketing and SEO. Basically, when we started our blog, we probably wasted around two years doing all the wrong things. And then in the next two years, sort of came from nothing to being one of the best, like one of the top uh, and grew our traffic to at its peak, almost three quarters of a million per month. Um, so what we did was take what we what we'd done in those two years and we were like, OK, we messed up in the first two years. But the second two years was, you know, we learned a lot. We actually learned a lot from the digital nomads in Chiang Mai. We started networking with affiliate marketers and, and email marketers and we applied that to the blogging world. Um, so yeah, I forgot a question now, but <laughs> what, what yeah, how did you, because I think that what happens is like uh, as an entrepreneur in moments like, oh, this, yes. there will be moments like this mm -hmm. and you need to almost learn to adjust. Yes. Right? And that's one of the big differences between 
new business owners and people who are seasoned is they've seen mm -hmm. this, they know how to react, they know what to do. So what yeah. are some of the lessons that you learned? Okay, sorry. This? I lost my trailer for, but now I know what I was saying. So yeah, we applied all of that to blog and fast lane. So where I was going with that was that when COVID happened, we also had, we had two different companies. So we had the travel blogging, which went, you know, 70, 80% down when it happened, but we had an online course company that boomed because then suddenly everyone mm -hmm. was at home. So what I learned in that time was, you know, to take it, relax, take a breath <laughs> and then assess like, what is your runway? What's your profitability? Do you have to make short-term decisions or long-term decisions? And that's what we were telling our students like, okay, this has happened. Where are you? Do you need money instantly? Then you need to make some short-term stuff and, you know, do some freelance work or consulting work or, or change very quickly. Do you have a runway? If you do, then think, and then don't worry about the market being down right now and focus on the longer term stuff. So for us, you know, we had a runway. So we were able to move our team, all of the team that were working on Adventure New moved and started working on blogging Fastlane. They all started working on that. And they worked on that for, I think, just under six months. Uh, and then we shifted them back over to Adventure New. So the main thing I learned is to really look at your runway and decide, you know, yeah, are you able to make long-term decisions or short-term decisions and then go from there? Yeah, I also think having, you kind of touched on two things that I think are important there that I want to highlight. Like the first one is having multiple streams of income, especially ones that are like, that can be diversified in a way where if things are going well, that business is doing well. And if things kind of take a hit, then, you know, uh, the, the other business can, can help out. Like I have a friend who has a business in language learning, and then he has another business where he makes chocolate. He has a chocolate factory and he's like, I'm great. Cause everybody wants to learn a language when things are going well, but when things go bad, everybody buys chocolate. Cause they want to <laughs> like, you know, like, like, you know, like make themselves happier. So he's like, I'm great either way. Like one business is going to like take over. So yeah. I think that's really important. And the other thing you mentioned that I want to get your opinion on is to, when things kind of go boom, mm -hmm. relax and take a breath. Mm -hmm. And that sounds simple and it sounds very like intuitive. Like, yeah, that makes sense. But I, I find that a lot of people panic. And when you're panicked, you make bad decisions. So yeah. do you have any sort of tips for people on like when shit hits the fan, how can you like remain calm to make good decisions? Do you have anything that you do or like any kind of way to make sure that you're staying calm in those situations? Mm. Yeah. Okay. So again, it depends on where that person is in their entrepreneur journey and how their financial situation is looking right, looking like, right. So first I'll talk about where I am now and how I sort of dealt with it. So obviously right now we're a little bit more comfortable. We, we have a runway, we have some savings, we have some investments. So when this whole situation happened, you know, I'm, I'm big into meditating at the moment. So I, I take, a, I took, I took more time than usual to meditate and think to myself. And I think it's sort of realizing, well, worst case scenario, you know, everything's okay. You know, everything's absolutely fine. It's, it's a business at the end of the day. It's not life or death. You know, we're still traveling the world, living this incredible life. If profits are low for a couple of months or a year, or we don't make as much money this year, then, you know, it's fine. Um, the way we look at it is, we have a set amount every month that we need to make to live the lifestyle that we live. And as long as we make that, that's the main thing. Uh, so when, when everything was going down, like I said, we do have a very sort of diverse 
we have diverse incomes, I quickly realized that although we were going to be doing a lot less profit than we were the year before, we were still going to be covering our costs. We were still going to be able to live like we are now. We would still be able to keep the majority of our team in place. So it, it was okay. We were able to take a step back. Um, but obviously that's easier for me to say. I'm like six or seven years into my digital nomad journey. I've got two companies. I've got some savings. If someone's brand new, and they've just gone all in on a business and this happened and obviously that's a bit of a tougher situation but i think again just taking time to reflect and realize that again this isn't life or death like the majority of the time you've got a little bit of savings or you've got family you can go back to or whatever if something does happen um if they did need that immediate income i would then look for client work or, or look for short-term work in order to help get you through this situation um but i think reflecting, meditating, realizing that, to be honest, we still have it good. Like we still have it really good compared to a lot of people out there. You know, that's the main thing. It's, it's perspective, right? You know, there's a lot of people out there who lost jobs, who lost family, who, you know, have mortgages and really big things over their head. For us, you know, we're digital nomads. We have two backpacks <laughs> and not much overhead. So, yeah, I mean, business wasn't as good this year in, in some aspects, but in hindsight, it's all okay. So just taking the time to look and get a different perspective on things, I think is key. Yeah, I think, you know, before we hit record, we both talked about how much we love Naval. And I think he's the one who talk, who has mentioned before, and I love this thing, is like, you know, your our brains were evolved to, you know, be anxious about the tiger around the corner, right? Because the tiger's going to maul you and kill you, right? And our brains still look at things that way. So everything is a tiger around the corner to us, even though when you think about it, it's really not. And like, you'll be fine. And that's why I think, um, you know, Tim Ferriss became really famous for having this like fear setting exercise where you're like, okay, like, let's write out the craziest, deepest fears that we have about like what could happen. And when you kind of put it down on paper, you realize like, this is actually like not that scary. Like at the end, like I'll still be fine on the other end. Like I'll still be alive. I'll still be healthy, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a, a great kind of exercise to do. Yeah. I mean, it all, it all comes down to how you perceive things, right? How you interpret the situation. And for me, if I'm ever feeling anxious or I'm starting to be a bit more panicked or stressed, it's because I'm not taking the time to meditate and actually like reflect on things. And like you said about the fear stuff there, one of the exercises I've started doing now, I found myself, I had like money limitations. I had certain money limitations. I didn't think it was possible to make more than, you know, 30 grand a month or whatever. I had sort of caps that I didn't realize. And one of my mentors told me to start setting fear goals. So he did what you said. He would, he would get me to write my biggest fears, like what was stopping me from scaling my businesses or growing. Um, and then aim to actually do that. So if I wrote a fear, so for example, we do a lot of Facebook ads. If my fear was, oh, I don't want to lose, you know, $20,000 on Facebook ads in a month, which is why I'm scared to scale them. He would actually make me write that out and then make it my goal to actually lose that money. Uh, it sounds a bit counterintuitive, but mm -hmm. what, what you find is if you've made that your goal, then majority of the time, you know, you don't hit it. But as you're moving towards it, you start to see like, oh, this isn't as scary as I thought or like, oh, actually I'm doing well, or I'm doing better. And every time I've set those fear goals and challenged myself to try and hit them, um, it's, yeah, we've always done much better that month. <laughs>
Yeah, I recently heard a really interesting um, theory that I think comes from like Japanese, you know, Japanese always have these awesome business concepts. And I hadn't thought about it, but it really aligned really well with like my journey. And what they talked about was the fact that there is this um, trend in business of um, it's called the ones and threes or threes and tens. I'm not quite sure. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but essentially what they're saying is that at every multiple of three and 10, when you're growing a business, you need to shift what you do. So for example, just to make it really simple, what got you to making a thousand dollars a month won't get you to three and what got you to three won't get you to 10. And so they essentially talk that that is a really interesting way to, when you see yourself coming up to this, you need to readjust and change what you do. Cause we, we worked until now won't anymore. And so yeah. I do think that that's one of those things where you need to actually sit down and like you did say like, Hey, I'm making $30,000 a mm-hmm. month. If I'm gonna get to a hundred, I need to like really look at those fears and figure out what it is that I need to adjust. Yeah, that was exactly it. I realized that in the only way to double that or triple that was to spend a lot more, but I was uncomfortable spending, you know, $5,000 a day on Facebook. That was alien to me. I I didn't want to lose, you know, X amount. Um, So yeah, writing that down, making those your goal and sort of changing, changing up the situation uh, is exactly what we needed to do. So I want to rewind a little bit mm-hmm. because um, I, I do know a lot of people who are listening to this who may want to start a blog, who want that sort of business. Um, and you mentioned earlier on that you said that for the first two years when you guys were growing your business, you were kind of doing things wrong. And then the next two years you adjusted and you started doing things the right way. What was that adjustment? What did you change? Yeah, 100%. So when we first started blogging, you know, we would blog about everything under the sun. You know, it would be about co-working spaces or hotels or where we were traveling at the time or whatever, We and different countries. It was just really wide. When we went to Chiang Mai and we met a few digital nomads, they introduced us to like, I got introduced to proper affiliate marketers, proper email marketers uh, and everything. And they showed me how to niche down or to do keyword research. So some of the things we adjusted on was first thing is we we thought okay what is our blue ocean we always talk about this a lot blue ocean red ocean have you heard the about the, those terms yeah i have but can so, you yeah can you go over mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah yeah so so it's just a simple marketing sort of niche thing so red ocean refers to you know an ocean full of sharks where everyone's trying to eat the same thing, high competition, there's a lot of blood in the water. Blue ocean is this open space where you can go and there's not as much competition. So the whole idea is try to find your blue ocean, you know, try to find that space because it's going to be easier to grow in. Uh, So at that time, that was one of the first things we did. We were like, right, we've got lots of content all over the place. Um, What is our blue ocean and what can we focus in on? Now, at the time, this was around, I think, five years ago or maybe four years ago we had a lot more content on thailand and traveling around thailand and we had a lot of local content so it wasn't just the the general sort of bangkok stuff we had a lot of niche articles so we're like okay well let's expand on that and just focus on travel around thailand and we went all in on that so that was the first thing and just focusing you know just focusing on thailand grew traffic to almost eighty thousand views a month just in thailand uh, so that was you know, focusing on a blue ocean, going deep on that. The second thing was how to then grow the traffic. And uh, we teach like a pillar strategy in SEO. So with SEO, you need a couple of strong pillars at the top, and then you need to build like your framework underneath. So we call it an authority fortress. So you're basically setting up your pillars. So what's your main pieces of content? What's your core pieces? When you're new starting a blog, you should only pick like 
three or maybe four max. So first identify your blue ocean, then pick your, your pick. You want to pick your four pillar content, like your four strong pieces, your main things. Uh, and then you want to build underneath that with supporting articles. So just by doing those two things alone will massively increase your traffic. Like, We'll, we'll take a blogger from you know, 5,000 or 10,000. If they apply that and actually focus on that for six months, they'll be looking at you know, 5X in their traffic if they're new into the game. So that was the second thing. Um, and then the third thing for us, which was a bit of a breakthrough, is that we started applying automated email marketing around our affiliate strategy. So we were already making some sort of affiliate income, you know, a couple of bucks here and there and whatever, but it was only when we did these three things when we found a motion, when we grew our SEO strategy and got our traffic up, and then we, we applied email marketing, we were getting affiliate sales, but then people were signing up to our email list, and then they kept coming back to our content during the whole trip around Thailand and kept booking things with us. So suddenly, rather than just making $10 off one person, you know, that one person would book places all the way around Thailand and then spend, you know, we would get $100 commission. So those three things combined we did that pretty well in Thailand. And then we started to do it everywhere. We did it in Vietnam, we did it in Cambodia, we did it in the Philippines. We started to expand out once we had done it in one country. Um, and that worked really well for us. So that those were the main things we changed. I wanna, uh, I like this concept of the blue ocean, you know? Um, and I think like Tim Ferriss calls it like define your own category, right? As like mm -hmm. invent your own category, like one that you can sort of like dominate. But the thing with that is that there is also the other side of it, which is if there's a, a category that has no competition, you have to ask the question, why is there no competition, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe it's not a, a good category to go into. Maybe nobody cares. How do you balance those two ideas? Yeah, uh, this is good. I actually heard you talking about this with Chris, the freelancer, right? You talked about a similar thing when he started his YouTube channel. It was very new and stuff like that. How do you balance it? That's a good question. Um, so I think for me, I would balance. So let me give an example of when we started our online course, right? When we, when we started selling our blogging course. So essentially when we started selling that, it was a red, you know, it was a blue ocean. Everyone has an online course. Like this was, we only started selling our program like a year and a half ago. Everyone has online programs. It was a really packed red ocean, but we did the same thing. We were like, how can we find a blue ocean within this red ocean? and craft out our own piece of this market. And for us, that was, yes, everyone has blogging courses, but nobody was teaching email marketing around blogging. No one was teaching that aspect combined with it together. Or if they were, they weren't doing it very well because we, like it, you know, it wasn't, wasn't big at the time. So that was, okay, let's go, go into this online blogging space with that element. So I think there's, there's a book, I think it's called maybe big idea or it's, it's, it's about mechanism and what's the unique mechanism about your product. And if you can find that unique, essentially, you know, essentially USB, you can then use that to craft out your own blue ocean inside a red ocean space. So if there is a, if there is a busy thing, that's usually a good sign that the market's picking up, the trends are picking up. So online courses are booming right now, right? So people can ride that wave. Online course is a great place, but it's also very, very saturated and very red. So if you are going to enter it, you need to sort of find those little blue pockets and find those unique ways that you can enter it. You know, if you're going to do a Facebook ads course, don't just do a Facebook ads course, you know, and I'm talking to a couple of people about it at the moment and okay, a better option would be to do a Facebook ads course 
just for course creators. Or an even better option would be do a Facebook ads course for course creators who are trying to get to six figures. You know, really start to just hone in on that and that will help you. You mentioned USB recently. What is that? Uh, sorry, uh, USP, unique selling point. Oh, okay, USP. Okay, mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I, I have somebody coming on the podcast here soon who is a he does finances, so he's like a CFO uh, for hire, specifically for course creators. And I'm like, what a great way to define a niche, you know, like just like that. What about um, how do you factor in trusting your gut on this? Because I like for me personally, and, and tell me what you think about this. I would say if you're just getting started, don't trust your gut. But the more experience that you get, I do think that there is something about like you get enough feedback that you're like your gut kind of learns. Would like, what do you think about that? Do you agree with that? I, I do. I think I, absolutely. Like I, I smile because I was like, actually, that's a really good way of putting it because this is just me, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, when I was just getting into business, you know, I I thought I was invincible. My ego was massive. I was like, I know it all. Yeah, I can make money online. All these people are doing it. I can do it. But actually, when you're first getting started, you don't know that much. So if you can, if early on, you can have a reality check and just be like, look, I am new to this, you know, face reality, I am new to this. My gut might be saying X, Y, Z, but to be honest, I don't have experience. So I probably should go and talk to a smart person or or someone who has done this before me uh, and learn from them. Yeah, definitely. You know, even now, if I, I I do trust my gut on things now, but I'll always seek advice from others and try to get opposing views. Um, Because again, sometimes your your gut or your mind can play tricks on you. But no, I I definitely agree with that. Yeah, when I was getting started, like thinking back on like the first business that I ever started, it doesn't take me long now to go, what a terrible fucking idea. Like it just, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like now it just, it's not hard, but back then, it, you know, you don't have the, you don't have the feedback. You don't have enough experience. Like I tried to start a two-sided marketplace, like one of the most difficult businesses to build. And I was like 22, like, yeah, I got I this. Did don't too. worry about it. You know? yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, I, I did exactly the same thing. You know, when we first got started, you know, we started it, we, we wanted to get into the online world and then we were thinking about doing an app and then we just, I thought we could do it all, you know? And, and, mm-hmm. and my, my gut was like, you can do it all. Draw up a massive business plan. You can raise more money. You can do this. But I wasn't listening to outside people or smart people to get their opinions on what I should do. And if I'd consulted with, you know, I now have loads of different mentors, but if I'd consulted them, they probably would have said, no, you have this business that's doing well, focus in on this and blah, blah, blah. And I would have come to those conclusions a lot quicker than what I did, which, <laughs> which was go off in a whole new direction and make a load of mistakes. But that, yeah. What do you think about, um, because it's, it's interesting because your journey has gone kind of like you got started and you got your hands dirty. And once you got your hands dirty, you, maybe you weren't doing everything right. But when you said you went to Chiang Mai, you learned from a lot of digital nomads and what you were, what you learned, you were able to almost immediately put into play. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that because you put in action first, maybe it wasn't perfect, but you put in action. And I think there's a lot of people that are they know that what they're doing isn't perfect or they know that they're, they don't know everything. And so they're waiting to, to learn in order to not make those mistakes. Which way do you think is right? Because I think each has pros and cons to it, but which one would you recommend people go down? Like, I don't know everything, but I'm just going to get started and try to figure it out down the road or 
let me figure out as much as I can now so that, you know, I don't have two years where I'm not doing it right. I think definitely action, like definitely action, you know, take action, no matter what it is. Uh, if, and I think the best way of, to learn is by doing right, just do it. Um, if you can pick up assets along the way that will help you sort of, you shouldn't be afraid to fail. But if you can pick up assets, courses, mentors, whatever, who will help you resolve those failures faster, I think that's the best. That's the best of both. Um, but in terms of the people who want to learn it all first so that they don't make those mistakes, that's just not going to happen. You know, business is about making mistakes. Business is about solving problems and continuous problems. And you have to love that game. So definitely just get started and, and go for it. Uh, yeah, I think that's the way forward. I think doing it and learning to be okay with making mistakes, failing and learning from it. I mean, to me, there's, you know, there's no such thing as failures. There's just lessons and things that you learn from them. Yeah. And I also think that you don't, there's a different type of learning that happens when you can apply it. Right. So I see a lot of people who are like course junkies and they take every course in the world, but they never really do anything about it. So they can like spew out a lot of like knowledge technically, but they've never really, I don't think you ever really learn it until you do that thing and then it goes wrong or it doesn't work like it should. And you go like, hold on, you know, it almost like forces you to learn in a different way. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, let's dive in a little bit into um, kind of like the revenue of the business. Um, what is, because there's a lot of you know, um, like different ways and you should have, you know, your income should be coming from different places. So as a as a travel blog, what are some of the main, where are some of the main revenues coming from? And what are some of the things that if you're just getting started, if somebody's listening and they're like, yes, I want to start a travel blog or any type of blog, what are some of those revenues out there that people should look for? Yeah, that's, that's a great question as well. So we actually, we actually used to do income reports. I think around two years ago, we did income reports um, where we sort of broke down all the different streams that we had on Adventure New. I think if you go there and go to adventurenew.com and, and search income reports, you'll find a couple of the old ones. We actually stopped doing it because we used to get a lot of competition that started just copying our exact same keywords. Um, mm. But yeah, in terms of that, the main ways we diversified our income, we affiliates makes up the bulk of our revenue stream probably i would argue 50% i would estimate around 50% at the moment um this is probably pre covid the numbers are a bit all over the shop but usually the business it would be 50% sort of affiliates 20% ads for us or 20 to 25% ads so display ads you know all those ads you see on the site we have a bulk, uh, a bulk of partnerships so advertising deals we you know work with companies like that um, and then also products. So we have digital products, we have guides, we have travel guides uh, on Adventure News separately. So yeah, I think that's four different streams. We also do some private advertising placements as well. So if someone wants to put a side banner on, so there's about five different streams there. And then even within those streams, the affiliates, what we're trying to do now, you know, because of COVID is really diversify those affiliates. So we'll have some in the travel space, but We'll also try to make sure there's some other micro niches around Adventure New that we'll also touch in. So if this goes down, hopefully this affiliate goes up and you know we'll try and balance those out. So that's what we're doing at the moment. Yeah, I was, that's what I was going to ask in terms of affiliates. Like, uh, what do you mean? Like, is it like Amazon affiliate? Is it, um, you know, affiliates from like uh, booking sites and stuff like that? Like, what are, what are some of the different affiliate revenues that you have? Hmm. 
That's a good question. I'm trying to trying to think how I can uh, explain it without revealing all of our <laughs> business things. <laughs> you, what you don't want to spill the secrets? <laughs> no, 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 um, no. So obviously we do a lot with hotels. That's probably one of our biggest. Uh, we do a lot with travel insurance. So World Nomads are great. You know, uh, Safety Wing are great. Insurance worked really well, obviously during COVID as well. That was one of those affiliates that bounced up. So those are sort of the main ones that everyone knows. Yes, we also do Amazon. What we've started to do more now because Amazon are cutting their their slashing the commissions a lot. We tend so to Amazon's go Amazon's a dick. Yeah, we tend to go more private. So we're reaching out to the companies and trying to see like if they're on other programs or if they have their own, you know, special affiliate deal. And a lot of them do. And a lot of them like double your commission as well. You know, they'll they'll increase your commission rate. So yeah, we're looking at that. And we've done that with a couple of our products that we used to sell on Amazon. We now go direct and have switched to different affiliate programs. Um yeah, I think those are the main ways. And then whatever affiliates uh there's some holiday companies that we work with, which obviously are not doing well at the moment during COVID. Uh, but yeah, for us, it's mainly mainly gear, hotels, that type of stuff. And then there's also some like niche ones. Uh, you know, if, if if someone is new to blogging and they're going into yoga or they're going into DIY or something like that, you can have a look. There are there are other programs. Just type the type of hobby and then affiliate program, and you'll find amazing ones. You know, there's you can affiliate retreats in Bali, yoga retreats. You can affiliate DIY kits. You can affiliate glamping. You know, glamping's taken off at the moment or, or like yurts. You know, there's like yurt stuff, yurt life. And there's all these cool affiliate programs that are away from uh, Amazon or away from the booking.coms and the big ones. There's all these micro ones. One thing I would suggest if someone does have a blog is to look at their top 20 articles and actually think, you know, Google that place now and think, what are people doing now? Maybe there's glamp in there. Okay, try to add some glamp in affiliates. Okay, maybe there's, you know, I don't know, top of my head, but something else. And just try to add more unique affiliates. If you can, you know, obviously work with Get Your Guide and Amazon and these big ones, but also try to look for the sort of special affiliate programs because you usually then, instead of getting three or 4%, you'll get eight or 12%. And those, you know, those are some of the big, big things you can do. Gotcha. Um, I have a, I had a mentor who used to say um, that the only thing keeping you from earning six figures was your mindset. And the thing that was keeping you from earning seven figures were your operations. So I want to dive in and talk a little bit about operations because I'm sure that what people see, you know, underneath it, there's a lot of different moving wheels. So what are some of the, let's talk first about um, hiring right? Because I imagine it's not just you guys anymore. At what point did you bring someone new on uh, to help you guys run the business? And what was that position? Mm. So we've had a couple of people come on uh, and we've had some people leave and over the years. Uh, the first one for us was a part partnerships manager and advertising manager for Adventure New. We used to do a lot more partnerships. So we filled that. The way I went about it was like, af after, I've, after I've solidified that revenue stream, I then need to pass it on to someone to run it. So that's that kind of mm. way I thought about it. Uh, since then, we don't do a lot lot with partnerships anymore and we've automated that whole process. So if you go to Adventure New and you click contact, we have, an, we, have an all, we have a whole inquiry form and it automates the process. It sends the rates, it follows up all automatically. So I sort of automated that role in a way. So that was a couple of years ago. Um, then about two years ago, we hired a writer and an editor for Adventure New to start to run it prop, you know, full time. 
Um, we have had a Facebook agency in the past, but we let those go. That was a bad mistake. <laughs> and I took over the Facebook ads. Uh, and then we also have some VAs as well who are great to help us like format in, uh, format and all the stuff. But the way I, the way I think about hiring, and again, it really depends on why you're building the business. You know, some people are building businesses to scale up to millions and to make a load of money. And then some people are building businesses for, for a lifestyle business, right? Who just want to travel. So I really think about what do I want? And then like, how can I just maximize my time doing that thing? So for me, I love to learn. I love to learn things. So I'm not, I'm not the type of person that likes to do the same thing for a long period of time. So once I had learned how to do sales and partnerships with Venture New, I outsourced that or I automated it. Then, you know, once I, uh, once we had sort of the SEO stuff down for Adventure New, we outsourced that and then passed it on. So the last year I've been doing a lot of Facebook ads for blogging Fastlane. Now I've got the Facebook ads working and you know, I've, I've learned how to do that. I'm ready to hire someone to pass that on to allow me to do something else. So the way I hire is because I like to learn and do different things and I, I hire in that way. It might not necessarily be the right way um, versus the way I look at it, you know? So yeah, I think it really depends on the person itself. But the one thing I would say is, you know, if you can hire and if you're already making a few thousand dollars and you're scared to just delegate or let go, give it a try because it, it can change your life. Like working with great people can, it, it does change your life. <laughs> yeah. Around that, you know, working with great people, you got to find a great people first, right? So what are some of the things that you look for when you are hiring to make sure that like, you know what, I'm pretty confident this is the right person for our team versus not. What are some of those things that you look for when you're hiring? Yeah. So for us, it's, it's culture, like culture above everything, like the vibe we get, you know, we'll jump on calls. So when we were hiring for Adventure New, you know, we put up an application on our website, said we're hiring a writer, we're hiring an editor. And we posted it in the Facebook groups where bloggers, where digital nomads were, a lot of the probably spaces me and you hang out, you know, Chiang Mai digital nomads or whatever. And part of submitting an application was they had to do a video. And that made a lot of writers and editors uncomfortable because they're usually writers and editors but to, in order to even get an interview to get past the next stage they had to submit a video and we wanted to see that because the type of people our culture is very you know we're go-getters we're digital nomads all of us are remote all of us are traveling none of us work on a time schedule none of us have certain amount of hours it's all kpi driven so we wanted to find that type of person um and then yeah after the that interview we then got on a call with them and I think we interviewed around, around eight people or six people for these positions. And it was mainly about, you know, the vibe we got from them. We had a scorecard and we made them score themselves. So we had like a list of requirements for the role. So, you know, how good are you at affiliate marketing? How good are you at SEO? Uh, how good are you at editing? You know, and they, and they had to rate themselves and then explain their ratings back to us. So that was one of the things that we picked up from... I'm not sure what book that was from, maybe high output management, but was get the people who you're interviewing to score themselves based on their roles. And then that will give you a lot to talk about. You know, what, well, why did you score yourself? Oh, I noticed you scored yourself a nine for SEO. That's really impressive. You know, blah, blah, blah. Well, why do you think this? You know, or, and then you'll also get a sense if they're open to feedback or if they're open to learn or if they think they know everything. You know, you'll quickly really open up a conversation within that hour. So yeah, those were some of the things that we did.
Yeah, I was going to say, did you guys ever have anybody who's like, I'm a 10 all across the board? Was that just like an immediate, like, okay, that person's not coming on? <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't actually. No, we didn't. But uh, yeah, if I did see a 10 across the board, then obviously they're, they're not someone that can, you know, <laughs> that is open to learning, I'm guessing. So did you not, um, were you submitting these job openings only on these Facebook groups where digital nomads were already hanging out and you kind of like avoided things like Upwork, for example. Yeah. Yeah. We, we didn't do Upwork. Um, I'm not sure why we just wanted full-time people. There is other job boards that we've reached recently tried out. We've tried uh, DC jobs. I'm part of the dynamite circle. Um, we've tried them. They're really cool as well. Uh, but for us, we've just had the best applications from chatting inside of groups. I think my partner, Anna, my co-founder as well, she she's always interacting in these groups there's a lot of people in them so mm -hmm. that's that's the way we've done it and we've usually reached out to the people that run the groups and checked if it's okay to post you know and that we're looking for someone but if not i would check out job boards like remote okay and uh yeah dc jobs and a couple and you can list there we just found that the the, the type of people we want are the people that are on the road all the time you know they're traveling because obviously we were looking for a travel blogging position and just really remote people. So that's why we kind of focus more on the group aspect because that's where they were. They were traveling around. Yeah, I also, I have to give a plug to the guys over the DC. The the Dynamite Jobs board, I think, is like turning out to be really phenomenal. They've made yeah. some really cool uh, upgrades to it recently. And I think it looks, I think it looks great. I like the direction they're headed in. Mm. Um, you mentioned that you don't really pay per hour, that you focus on KPIs. And I think that's really um, smart because, you know, with everyone that's kind of gone into remote work, I've had friends who have just reported horror stories about the way that the companies are trying to make sure that they're working, right? Like I have a friend who told me she's like, I need to move my mouse every 10 seconds or like I get my pay docked for that hour or something crazy like that. How do you manage, because I, I do think this is a big problem right now where everyone's kind of starting to figure out the tech of how to actually run the company remotely, right? Like everybody's got Slack, everybody's got Zoom, the tech is kind of figured out. But I think a lot of companies aren't figuring out the managing, but the fact that the managing needs to change, you know, you're not in an office anymore, so you can't really manage your people the same way. And I think the pay structure is a big factor of that, you know? Who cares how many hours somebody's spending in front of the computer if they're having a 50% output? If somebody spends half the time but, you know, hits their things, why should they have their pay docked? But I do think that that comes with a difficulty of how do you actually track that? How do you how do you do that? So what was your your plan around managing that sort of pay structure? Yeah, that's that's really good. So I'm probably I'm probably guilty of this and I can share like what I've done this year because I've gone back and forth. You know, when when COVID happened, I was a I, although I took time to relax, I was all, I was also like, you know, we need to be working harder and faster. Uh, so I introduced uh, Clockify into our business, which was asking people to just track their time. I didn't say we have to do X, Y, Z or per day, but I did want to know where time was being spent. Um, but I think for remote companies, if they are doing that, it's either they don't, it's either they don't trust their people or they don't understand the business well enough and have a 
like a, a grab on their sort of goals or their targets or their KPIs well enough. And I think I, I was guilty of the second one. So I, I definitely trusted my people, but I didn't, I didn't know the exact KPIs they, they should be driving or the exact things that they should be moving the needle on. And that made me a bit panicky. So I was like, oh, I need to watch the time and blah, blah, blah. So since then we've let go of the time tracking thing. We, we only brought it in for a couple of months to experiment with it. Um, but now what we do and how we manage it is we use the OKR system. Have you heard, have you heard of the OKR mm -hmm. system? Yeah. So objective and key results. So you set an objective for someone, they will agree to that objective. And then you have key results for that objective. And the key result is a mix of a quantity and a quality measure. So to give you an example, um, to give you an example for blogging, you know, the objective might be to grow the traffic to Europe content. And then the key are the key result. You want a quality and quantity. So the quant the quantity would be to publish 20 articles a month. And then the quality would be, you know, over each article has to be over 1000 words or whatever it is. That's just an example. So we, every quarter agree these OKRs with our staff. We, we set their targets, we set their goals for the quarter and, and then they go away and, and work on those goals. So for as far as I'm concerned, like you said, if they spend five hours a day and then they surf for the rest of the day or whatever, as long as they're hitting the OKRs, then I know that's a good output and we're getting a good ROI and it's, it's working and the team is functioning, but they can control what they do. If, if teams are still sort of micromanaging the remote employees, I do think it's probably a mix of they don't have an exact handle on what moves the needle in their business but that's just that's just some businesses i'm sure there are mm -hmm. i'm sure there are other businesses um there's a lot i don't know in terms of running develop developers remote developers and other things i'm not sure but for for my business anyway and for a few i think small online businesses if people are micromanaging it's because of either those things the trust or not understanding the targets well enough and for me, I made a mistake with the targets, but now we've got better at setting those and really letting our people breathe again. Because they had freedom for like a year. And then during COVID, we had to get a bit more strict, but I realized that was actually the wrong thing. Like we didn't need to get more strict. We just needed to set probably bigger OKRs and they would have worked just as hard, just as fast, but on their own time schedule. So, yeah. In terms of tracking time, I really like, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Time Doctor before. Um, Liam Martin, the founder, was on the podcast. And, you know, he is a big proponent of kind of what you're describing, where he's like, you know, I don't track people's time. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't give them like, hey, you need to work eight hours a day, even though he runs a time tracking tool. And that to me was really strange. And what he said is that he uses that for data. And I really, really love this concept because he's like, look, they, you know, set your goals, but then we track your time to see like, okay, you're working 25 hours a week and you're hitting your goals. That's great. But you're working 15 hours a week and you're having trouble hitting your goals. So then we'll kind of say, we have a conversation and say, everybody else on your team tends to work more in the 25 to 30 hour range and they hit their goals. So maybe that's something that you can adjust. And I, I love that idea of tracking the time to collect data on like helping your employees improve as opposed to slapping the wrist and saying you're not, you worked seven and a half hours as opposed to eight the other day. And like, that's not good. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I, I, I want to yeah. clarify um, when you were talking about setting OKRs. So 
do you guys as sort of um, managing team, you and Anna, sit down and figure out what the OKRs are going to be for the next quarter or the year or whatever? Or do you allow your team to be in on the conversation and help set their own OKRs? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So firstly, before I answer that question, yeah, in regards to the timing, what you just said, 100% agree with that. That's kind of what we do now. We do like time audits. So if someone is struggling, we'll ask them to track their time for two weeks or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then and then we'll use that data to help modify the stuff. But that's kind of what we've transitioned to. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, in regards to the OKR stuff, what we do is me and Anna will sit down and plan the yearly objective. What's the goal for this year? You know, so for the, the goal, the objective for this year was to grow what we call our Fastlane family, which is blogging Fastlane. So we have a load of Fastlane students. It, that was our main objective. And then, you know, we said, and then we do quarterly objectives. So what's Anna's objective? What's my objective? We'll set our own ones and our own key results. And then we'll sort of, we'll say to, our employees, okay, we feel that to hit the main objective for the year, that your objective should be, you know, may, maybe this or maybe this, what do you think? And then we'll get them to sort of decide what their objective is, what their key result is. And they will, in a meeting, we'll talk about it with them and they'll get to decide what it is. Obviously, we'll kind of have final say to say if we agree, but Usually it will be them to sort of, we'll be like, okay, well, we really want to grow in this place. So do you agree that this objective is right? Or do you want to change it? And they'll be like, oh yeah, I like that, but I want to add this. Okay, well, what's the key result? And we'll, they'll commit to it. They'll, they'll set them themselves. Yeah, I think this is where like culture becomes really important and kind of where culture goes from this thing that's really nice to talk about and means, you know, beer on tap or whatever you find in these startups versus something that actually like where something that's actually in place where the rubber meets the road sort of thing. Because like, I know from the DC guys, like what they've done with a lot of their employees is they make sure they hire the right people. And then they say like, Hey, what do you want to work on? Mm -hmm. Like, what do you, you know, like, Hey, here's our, here's our goals. How do we do it? You know, like you go and you do your own thing. So for them, it's really big to hire entrepreneurial people. And then that culture essentially drives everything through to the OKRs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, yeah, that's one of the biggest lessons you can learn if you are building a team. Again, depends where you are. If you're starting with just VAs or, or some part-time work, that's absolutely fine. As soon as you start hiring full-time people, that's the key thing there. Actually do take time to hire, like in the hiring process. Take more time during the hiring process rather than rushing it and getting the wrong people. Because if you find people that are just, you know, intrinsically motivated or driven, and just want to do it and want to learn your job will be so much easier i'm really lucky my, mm -hmm. my team is awesome the people on on there are awesome and i i just see it i'm like okay this is objective and this is this and they just go for it you know but i've also worked with people in the past who have just not fit the culture and i i took too long to let them go and i didn't realize mm -hmm. and and that's yeah i can completely change the situation so if you're looking to hire just the best way to motivate you know, a team, and my friend always says this as well, Luke, the best way to motivate your team is to just find people who are naturally motivated <laughs> and believe right. and believe in what you're trying to do. You know, that, that's, the, that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about uh, in the same general sphere, but about like personal productivity, because uh, Nathan mentioned something else to me. He said, uh, 
hey, uh, you got to reach out to Tom on email because he doesn't do social media. He only does it for five <laughs> minutes a day. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> so uh, with that in mind, I, I'm curious, um, first of all, where did the five minute thing come from? But mm -hmm. also, I think one of the big let me let, let, let's talk about that first, because uh, I'm going to make the first mistake of podcasting, which is don't ask too many questions at once. So <laughs> tell me about the, the five minute thing. And where did that come from? OK, so the five minute thing. And it's actually ironic because you've uh, caught me at a, a, a different time as well, where I've started doing more personal branding now. But let's talk about the five minute thing first. So when I get a goal in my head, like when I get a target or a goal, I really think we've talked about this with Naval, he talks about leverage, right? And like, what are the biggest things or what are the main things you can do to move the needle? So if I've got a goal, I really think about what are the biggest things that I can do to move the needle. And for me, social media just wasn't one of those things for the last like mm -hmm. two to three years, you know, when we were building blog and fast lane, it was making an amazing product and that was going to move the needle and running Facebook ads that was going to move the needle social media or some organic social media for me just wasn't as big of a leverage as those two things. So I just removed it from my day. So I just, you know, was like, well, I only need to spend five minutes. I catch up with my good friends on zoom calls and stuff like that all the time. Um, but I just, I, I'm not into sort of scrolling and stuff like that. I just didn't think it was going to benefit me or, or watching stories. It's not what I do. Um, so yeah, that's where the five minute thing came from. And I've stuck to it for a very long time. I mean, if you, if you ask anyone who's known me for a long time, when I first started traveling, uh, I actually, I, I actually didn't even own a phone. So when I first left to travel, I sold, you know, I sold my phone, I sold everything and I was traveling. I think I didn't have a mobile phone for about three years. Like, I think that's wow. about the time about two and a, two and a half years. Yeah. Um, and this was only, you know, again, like seven years ago. So it was quite new and I didn't have a phone for that time. Uh, yeah. So I just, I like to optimize my time and social media didn't fit into the day or I didn't think it was worth it. Now, however, um, I'm, I'm, you know, my two businesses, are they've got good foundations. I've got a solid team. I'm, lo I'm loving what, you know, it's all sort of working really well. The new things I want to do is I want to code and I also want to launch a podcast. So if I'm launching a podcast, I need a bit more of a, you know, a personal brand. Right. So that's why, that's why I've started now doing social media. And I think instead of five minutes, it's now, I think around 20 minutes a day. <laughs> that reminds me of, uh, my friend, Jason Moore from zero to travel, who has been like traveling for like decades. Like the dude is just, I think he was maybe born on the road, but you know, he has these stories of I'm a, I'm a young traveler. You know, I didn't start traveling until like 2000 and well, like, I mean, I've always traveled, but until like, I really started traveling all over the world, it was like 2015, 16. And he's like, yeah, man. In like 1997, like we didn't have phones. And I was like, how did you like Google maps? Like, how did you save your favorite cafe? You know, it's like, like to me, the phone is such an important tool in traveling that he's like, yeah, man, like we use pay phones, you know, like, it's like, what in the world? So, but how did you manage <laughs> that? Because that's, that's like, how did you like track that? Oh, okay. Oh, that. I was gonna say when I first started traveling, Lo Lonely Planet was my Bible. You know, I just used that <laughs> for everything before Google Maps and everything. Um, how did I track it? I just used the, you know, on most new phones now on Samsung's or um, iPhones, they have the dig digital well-being settings. So you can set mm. timers on when it cut when it cuts you off your, um, you know, your apps. So I just I set five minutes. You know, five minutes for for everything. And, gotcha. uh, you know, I, I allowed myself some time to check in with my family on WhatsApp and stuff like that. But 
I just, and even now, even now I'm doing pers- I've started on Instagram now for the first time in a long time. And I've started to do more stuff online again, but I still limit myself. I think now it's on 20 minutes a day and I'll do it in blocks. So it'll be 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the afternoon, and then that's it. It's a way, you know? That's a perfect segue into, um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about like personal productivity and how you structure your day, because I think that's something that's really difficult for a lot of remote workers and digital nomads, because, you know, when you are free to create your own schedule, sometimes it can be really difficult to actually do that. So how do you structure your day? Like how many hours a day do you work and what works for you in terms of a personal, you know, on a day-to-day basis, your personal schedule? Yeah. Um, Okay. So again, I've gone, I like to experiment a lot with what I do. So I've, I've gone back and forth a couple of months ago. If you'd asked me that question, my day was really scheduled out ahead of time. I used to schedule my calendar uh, on a Sunday and I would have it down to like, boom, 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 like wake up at six, do the gym, meditate from 7.30 till this point, you know, and everything was really sort of mapped out, start work at this time, you know, and I would start work probably around nine and finish at five and have an hour in between for lunch and, and another half an hour for a walk or whatever. And I really opt, I would say over optimize my time. Um, but now I've, I, I've, I've changed to what are the most important things to do every day. And for me, so for me, a morning routine is really important. Like I have to train in the morning. I have to meditate. I have to journal. I have to set my intentions for the day. And, uh, and if I do that, everything else sort of falls into place. So now I've gone the other way and I'm, I'm experimenting with what it, what is it like taking everything off the calendar and just having that morning routine. So that's currently what I'm doing now. Um, and I'm playing around with that and seeing where it's like. And, and so at the moment, my average day would be now I'm waking up around 6.30 or 7 o'clock. I'll train for an hour. Uh, I'll meditate. I'll journal. I'll have a nice coffee. Me, me and my girlfriend will go for a walk. And then I start work around 10 or maybe 10.30. Uh, and then usually I finish work around 4. Um, and then I'll probably read for an hour and a half before dinner. And we'll have dinner, we'll hang out with some friends or I'll read again or we'll watch a movie if it's a weekend, usually something like that. But now it's a lot more relaxed and chilled. I'm, for me, I'm actually finding it helps my productivity because I'm not as, what's the word? Like I'm not overly optimized and sort of pushed to do things. I can, I can breathe a little better. That works for me. I've tried the, the hyper-optimized calendar time. I did try that. But then when I learned more about my DNA and my type, if you go to Myers-Briggs and do the personality test, you know, the 16 personalities, I think it's called 16personalities.com. Uh, I actually bought the book and I read it and my personality type, we, we tend to try and over-optimize, but actually we function at a higher rate and a better rate when we're giving ourselves more time to breathe. So that's kind of what I'm doing at the moment. So I think, yeah, check out that book, 16 Personalities, learn about your DNA type and then learn about when are you the most productive and then you know, start to allocate time like that for yourself. What personality is that? What's the, what's the personality of the 16 that uh, is the, the one that you described? Yeah. So I, I don't know. Have you done the test yourself? Have you done the 16 mm-hmm. personality test? Yeah. Okay. So be, before I used to be the entrepreneur type, but now I'm, I think the exact thing is, I think I'm ENTP. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm the debater type, you know, uh, they call it debater. 
and it's like an analytical thinking person. I'm extroverted, uh, but I like to have deep conversations, thought-provoking conversations. And if you if you go deeper into that stuff, there is a thing called, um, or oh, they call it inferior function. So every DNA, mm-hmm. every personality type has what they call an inferior function, and that's like the opposite. It's like the, the you know the little devil on your shoulder sort of thing. It's the opposite. It tries to pull you in a different direction, and you should be aware of what that inferior function is, because it tries to pull you in that way. But you actually are a lot better, a lot happier, a lot more optimized, a lot more productive when you do what's more natural to you. So for me, my inferior function is that thing to sort of over-optimize, you know, try to schedule too much, try to plan too much or try to set too many goals. That's my inferior thing. I actually get a lot more energy if I'm given space to breathe, if I'm allowed to be creative and decide, right, I want to code for four hours today, or right, I want to work on Facebook ads today. That's more important. I get bursts of energy like that. So that's just my type. And this, this I think is really important what you're saying. We, we, you know, you you run a great podcast. You talk to loads of people, you talk to productivity people. And I've, I've, I've seen like some productivity people will be like, you need to, be really intent, you know, you need to set your intentions and plan your calendar and have everything scheduled down to a T. And I think that's right for some people, but you, it's actually more important to learn about yourself and learn about what works for yourself. And that's what I've had a bit of a battle with this year is I've, I've read productivity books and it's like schedule this, plan this, uh, and you should, you know, be doing this. And then I've done all those things and it hasn't necessarily made me more productive. So I think the first step is just being aware of your personality, how you thrive best, how you're most productive, you know, set your goals and then see, oh, when I was doing this, did I hit my goals? When I was doing this, did I hit my goals? And then most importantly, you know, was I happy in this period or this period? Do you know what I mean? Like see what makes you more happier, see what makes you more productive. You have to experiment with it as well. Yeah, I think, uh, I think productivity is kind of like diet, like, Mm -hmm. there's always the next new best thing that you need to do. And that like, everybody's like, No, this is what's really great. And then like, you know, (laughs) six months later, it's like, No, you got to do this. Like, you know, I remember when there was like this whole thing about like, if you wanted to be the most productive, you were supposed to like not sleep like eight hours, you're actually supposed to like break it up across the day. So like, you were supposed to like, sleep 45 minutes, and then like work for four hours and sleep 45 minutes. And it's like, now you think about it and they're like, that is idiotic. Like that's such a terrible <laughs> idea. But there was a time when like every productivity dude in the world was like, this is what you got to do. So I think I totally agree with you. It's like, you know, really understand yourself. And I'm like you, I, I tend to over-optimize. Like for me, it's like nerding out over the newest project management tool. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's at one point you need to understand that it's more about like, you're kind of like fun, but it isn't necessarily like helping and just kind of stick with what's working. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, we've, we've done that this year. We introduced monday.com to our team and I had my whole team schedule their week and we had timelines of where they're spending their time and what they're working on. And after six months of using it, you know, the, the team doesn't really like it, <laughs> you know, it's, they're less productive. And then personally, myself, I've started using a tool called um, Rome Research. Have you used that? Mm-hmm. Yep. I love it. I love it. And I found that a simple to-do list for me, you know, is, is all I need. And then I get everything done. I don't need to timeline stuff out. So yeah, definitely, definitely um, just do what works for you and experiment with it. 
All right. Well, Tom, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun for me, but before we sign off, um, let people know, you know, um, tell us about the course, where can people find out more about it if they want to check that out? And also you did mention that uh, you're working on a podcast right now. And I know that's something that's going to be coming out soon. I believe it's not out yet. So, um, where can people find out more about the podcast um, when that launches? Yeah, so I am spending more time on social media these days. <laughs> so I do allocate a little bit more time. Um, they can find me on any, you know, Instagram or Twitter at, uh, at, at Hey Tom Rogers. So just Hey Tom Rogers, my name. Uh, they can connect with me then, shoot me a DM, uh, a DM if they want to connect. And then the podcast will be live on my website, tomrogers.com. So the podcast is called Upgraded Thinking. And the idea is we've kind of touched on it here in this podcast where, you know, one productivity guy will say, to over-optimize this or XYZ. And then another productivity guy will, will say, do XYZ. You know, one fitness expert will say keto. One fitness expert will say intermittent fasting. So the idea of my podcast, um, Upgraded Thinking, is to bring all these types of people and combine them into one episode. So each episode, you know, it might be, well, what is the best diet at the moment that's working? And that episode will feature five different perspectives on that topic uh, and then break it down. So that's what I'm going to be doing. That's hopefully coming out next year. Um, that's going to be on my website, tomrogers.com. I love that. I, uh, I don't know if you know Taylor Pearson. He's in DC, but I love, he said this tweet that he said, uh, uh, if you're ever asking for like, these sort of things, the the right thing to look for is when somebody answers, well, it depends because most of the time, if they give you just a simple answer, it's like, where's the poop? You know, like yeah. something <laughs> isn't right here. So yeah, well, Tom, absolutely. thank you so much for coming. Uh, I really appreciate it. And um, all the best, man. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It's been absolutely awesome. 